Bolt puts his foot into the ball. It's going to be short. Fielded at the four by Hines. Coming straight up the middle to the 20. Cuts it back at the 25. He's got an alley down the right sideline to the 40. 50. Down to the 40. 35. 30. 20. 15. 10. 5. Touchdown. Naheem Hines. 96 yards. Are you kidding me, Chris? They showed Josh Allen his arm on his head. Sean McDermott, it appears, has tears rolling down his face. What a tribute to Damar. That's a celebration. A celebration of number three, Damar Hamlin. What a way to start the day six days after. Jamar Hamlin's serious health situation unfolded on Monday Night Football. The Bills start their next game back on the field. Losing the toss, Patriots defer. Sean McDermott, coach of the Bills, would say after the game, if they would have won the toss, they would have opted to defer, which means they would have kicked off and that moment wouldn't have happened. So in a week where coin tosses became very relevant to the NFL, a coin toss helped deliver us a great way to begin the 18th and final Sunday of the regular season with that Naheem Hines kickoff return for a touchdown. It got Buffalo rocking and rolling, and it was still a very exciting game until Naheem Hines did it again with the Bills down 17-14 in the third quarter. We're going to talk more about the game later. We wanted to start with that because what a way to start the day. What a way to start the show. It's another Monday. Miles Simmons is back very bright and early in Los Angeles. I'm here in Connecticut. Good morning, Miles. Welcome back. Good, good morning, Mike. Yeah, you always do this. It's bright and early. It's I not right. It's, not. it's I still dark. I know. It's actually raining here today, too. I don't even I don't know that you said what the show was. You want to tell the people working, what the show is? I'm working my way there. I figure anybody All who right. has sought out the sports <laughs> channel on Peacock, which some days is harder to find than others they tell me but if you've made it to this destination the show is pft live presented by google pixel learn more at googlestore.com if you're on sirius xm 85 you know it's the nbc sports audio channel so you know that this is the show and if you've sought out the podcast you know where you are and our friends in the uk and ireland and i've been told don't just say uk and ireland we've been doing this for like three or four years now on sky sports nfl and i was told early on The best umbrella is UK and Ireland. I was told last week, say Ireland and the British Isles. So now I'll say that, and my email box will be full of complaints that I shouldn't say that. I should say something else. And at some point, we will be identifying all of the various nations and principalities that fall under the umbrella. But regardless, welcome to anyone out there who happens to have Sky Sports NFL and is tuned in right now. To this program because we're going to talk about the NFL for the next two hours. Okay, so DeMar Hamlin, the best news is that by all appearances, he is going to be fine and in many ways is already fine neurologically. The moment for me last week, Miles, where I felt that we could all kind of collectively exhale at least a little bit because he's still got serious health issues arising from what happened on Monday night. But when he wakes up and the first thing he does is writes, did we win? That speaks to he's there. He's still Mm -hmm. there. Hasn't gone anywhere. Nothing's changed. There was no brain damage as a result of any impaired flow of oxygenated blood to the brain. That's the number one risk of any type of a cardiac incident. So that's the moment where everything turned and everything's been great 
since then, and yesterday was great throughout the NFL. Every game, every team, paying honor to DeMar Hamlin with the the gear that the coaches were wearing, regardless of what game it was, the players on the sidelines. Just an awesome thing to see the NFL come together and all of us come together. Peter King made the comment last night on Football Night in America because Peter was up in Buffalo. The aftermath of this is it proves to us that we are still capable, if so motivated, and if so determined, to come together as a people. And I am not sufficiently naive to think this is going to last. We've seen moments like this. My, my, my approach is when these moments happen, as fleeting and temporary as they may be, let's enjoy them. And maybe, maybe, maybe take away some inspiration or motivation to try to get along with everybody for a while, make it last a little bit. It's kind of like Christmas time. Everybody wants that vibe during Christmas time to last. Maybe there's something we can carry from this and we can all be a little more accommodating and understanding of each other and not yell and scream and fight at each other and not hate each other. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's a little too optimistic and idealistic, but it would be nice. It would be nice if if this became the start of some new trend where the sports world leads the way in Americans finding common ground instead of slamming doors in each other's faces. Well, instead of laughing you off the program, I'm going to instead say that I am going to add my voice. Let me put it this way to, to the many, many people who have expressed gratitude and appreciation for all of those who got on the field and saved Amar Hamlin's life. Because, I mean, I, I, that was the most horrifying thing that I've ever heard of being on a football field. And, you know, as somebody who loves this game and loves this sport and loves this league, like, I, I just, I can't say enough how grateful I am that, that people responded in the way that they did and enacted the emergency action plan as it was supposed to happen. And the fact that DeMar Hamlin is neurologically intact and was able to send out a tweet that said OMFG with a billion exclamation points after that Naheem Hines touchdown return, man, that, that's awesome. And it really is amazing what's happened the last six days. It feels like six months. Some would say it feels like six years. There have been so many developments. And we had those first three days where nobody really knew what was going on. And Tony Dungy explained last night that Leslie Frazier, Coach Dungy's close friend, who's the defensive coordinator of the Bills, they, they were kind of just in this weird, hazy funk for multiple days until they found out that DeMar was yeah. awake and DeMar was doing well, and that changed everything. They were able to focus. They had a walkthrough last Wednesday. They weren't focused. Nobody was focused. It was just a weird few days. Monday night, all day Tuesday, all day Wednesday, really, things were starting to feel like they were beginning to, the inevitable churning towards something that felt like normal, even if it was a new normal. It just felt like Wednesday something had to start moving. And by Thursday when we got the good news, that's when everything changed and we all took a sigh of relief. And it's been good news ever since. And uh, we'll talk more about the Bills' victory over the Patriots, what it means for Buffalo, what it means for New England, and what it may mean for some stadium somewhere that the commissioner may designate to be the site of the AFC championship game if and when it comes to it. But we will start, as we often do, with Sunday Night Football. We're not going to give short shrift to the Detroit Lions. You know, Miles, I thought of this this morning. The one thing about college football that, that I like, and there isn't much about college football that I like anymore because I feel like the players should get a paycheck for every game that they play just like professional players do because of the amount of money that they generate for the sport. And it's 
I'm not going to get up on my soapbox. My point is I've, I've become disillusioned with college football the more and more I see all the money, all the revenue, and the players, yeah, at least they get something now, but not what they should. My point is this. At the end of a college football season, there are multiple teams that are happy because they went to a bowl game and they won it. And it doesn't matter if they didn't win the championship. And it doesn't matter if they don't finish in the top ten. They had a good enough season. They went to a bowl game, and they won it. And I thought of that because in the NFL, that's not the case. There's only one team that's happy about winning its final game of the season, the Super Bowl champion. That said, the Detroit Lions won a bowl game last night. And, you know, all the talk last, and there was all the hand-wringing and the gnashing of teeth by the Seahawks. Oh, the game's not being played at the same time. The Lions, the Lions aren't going to have the same motivation. And, and I was on radio on KJR last week, and I tried to tell them, look, there, there's two very important things about this. Number one, they'll at least know when the game starts where they stand. Because if you play the game at the same time, they're going to be watching the scoreboard. Now, that game yesterday was closer than I thought it was going to be. But if the Seahawks were destroying the Rams and the Lions figured out at halftime, you go into the game thinking you have a chance. At halftime, you don't. That's too complicated for a football player or anybody like me that thinks in very linear fashion. I want to know what my marching orders are. The Lions knew their marching orders, and their marching orders was go out and stomp the Packers and keep them out of the playoffs. Okay, we no longer can get in. Fine. We know what we're here to do. We're in the last game of the regular season. That's a big spot for any team, especially the Detroit Lions, downtrodden by their own mismanagement and ineptitude for 60 years. But regardless, downtrodden, rising up, they qualify for the final game of the season, and they go out there, and they knock Aaron Rodgers and the despised Green Bay Packers, from the perspective of Lions fans, out of the playoffs when the Lions historically have not been able to win at Lambeau Field. It was amazing to see what the Lions did last night in that spot, knowing that there's no reward beyond last night other than satisfaction for a job well done. Well, that was the thing that I was thinking about the entire week with Dan Campbell is that it's a pretty big coaching job, right? How do you necessarily motivate your team when there's no playoffs potentially on the line? And basically the marching orders were, well, if we're not going to the dance, neither are you. And for whatever reason, that totally galvanized the Detroit Lions. And they felt like they had a spotlight game. They were able to go in there and show what it was that they could do, who it is that they are. You know, Dan Campbell's saying after the game that these aren't your same old Detroit Lions. Man, I feel like that's true because they were aggressive. You know, they had nothing to lose and they played like it. And it was just one of those games where, you know what? It may effectively be a sort of changing of the guard in the NFC North, even though, yeah, I know the Vikings happen to win that division and they're going to be playing the Giants next week. But if you look at where the Detroit Lions are, what they have in terms of draft capital because of what the Los Angeles Rams did this year, this is obviously a team that is ascending and they've got some really good vibes heading into the offseason. Yeah, they finished the year 9-8 and eight after starting 1-6, and six, barely missing the playoffs, vaulting the Seahawks into the seventh seed, knocking out the Packers in the process. The Lions finished winning eight of their final 10 games. And hey, look, the losses early in a year, they're not indicative of who a team is going to be, but those losses can keep you from achieving your ultimate goals. And in the Lions' case, it was one loss too many and no playoffs 
for them, but they have nothing to be ashamed of, and they do have a team that feels like it is ascending. And Jared Goff, who, when they traded for him two years ago this month, it felt like a short-term, we'll tolerate this guy's salary, we're doing it for the extra first-round draft pick, we got two ones and a three for the Stafford-Goff flip-flop, and now Goff, based on two seasons, and particularly this season, looking like the guy who can be the long-term answer for the Detroit Lions. That's the best part of this. The guy that was the, the I mean, I, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a polite way to put it, but the Lions were taking in a guy that the Rams were just done with. This was a Brock Osweiler trade. It really was. And it was jammed into the Matthew Stafford deal, so it wouldn't be quite as obvious and humiliating for the Rams that just two seasons after giving Jared Goff this gigantic contract, they decided we must get rid of him, even if it means giving a team a first-round pick to take this god-awful contract off our books. So this would be the same as Brock Osweiler going to Cleveland and not just hanging around for training camp, becoming the starter, and they realize at some point along the way, well, one man's trash is another man's treasure. That's what the Lions have figured out. Well, right. And I, I recall that there was also, you know, somebody who covers the NFL and has done so for a really long time Careful. who wanted the Lions to trade for Baker Mayfield. And I don't really think that that would have been a very good idea. But, you know, now we see that Jared Goff has really emerged here as a viable starting quarterback option. And he's playing some of the best football of his career, right? I mean, I was witness to 2017 and 2018 and his rise then helped propel my rise in some ways as a media person. But now I think what you see with Detroit is that they've got options, right? I mean, they can go and they can really improve their team. I mean, they have one of the top picks in the draft. They don't have to use that. They could back up, right? They could do whatever they want. And so now you're going to be able to see, I think, that defense take steps forward. The only thing that is sort of, I guess, a little bit of a concern to me, if I'm a Lions fan, is what if Ben Johnson gets a head coaching job? Well, because you know what? You're absolutely right. And this is why, this is yeah. why any owners out there who happen to be paying attention, if you are, Man, uh, being rich really doesn't have as many privileges as I thought. But if you are, for some reason, watching this program, (laughs) this is something I say, and this is no disrespect to all of the qualified defensive coaches out there. But, but, if your head coach isn't also your offensive coordinator slash quarterback whisperer, and your team does really well, you better have a good plan for replacing the guy who got the quarterback to where he is. Because if Ben Johnson goes, Dan Campbell's got a problem. And you could say it's a good problem to have because Dan Campbell sporting his own coaching tree, that's fine. But the most important relationship is coach and quarterback. And if Ben Johnson is the guy who has worked this magic with Jared Goff and maybe would have worked the same magic with Baker Mayfield, we don't know. And look, the whole Baker Mayfield to the Lions take was premised on the fact that Jared Goff last year wasn't very good. Now that we know that Jared Goff is capable of growing into the job, I'm fine with it. 
But Miles, but Jared Goff was decent when Ben Johnson was the offensive play caller. I'm yeah, just gonna, yeah, I, I'm I, just gonna I, put I, that out there. Yeah, so, yeah, you know. I know, but 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 not not so good that we were saying after one year what we're saying after two. After two years, we're saying Jared yes. Goff can be the long term answer for the Lions. After one year, we were still saying what are they going to do after 2022. Now we we know that they, they've got those high picks. Well, the high pick thanks to the Rams, they're not going to burn it on a quarterback. They're going to move forward with Jared Goff, but the question is they may be moving forward without Ben Johnson, and that is an excellent point. And even though it worked out for the Jaguars and they got to the playoffs, not taking Aiden Hutchinson with the first overall pick in the draft, I remember when it happened, I thought, boy, this just falls perfectly for the Detroit Lions. They get the Michigan native. They get the guy that many thought was the number one prospect in the draft, and he's been awesome this year for the Detroit Lions. And again, they didn't make it to the playoffs, so it wasn't as awesome as it needed to be, but he's come on strong and he just looks like a guy who can be a foundational piece. They've got multiple foundational pieces, guys Mm -hmm. that you just look to and say, they're going to be around for a while and they're going to be part of this ongoing growth, ongoing threat to compete. And the NFC North, especially if Aaron Rodgers goes, the NFC North is wide open. It's there for the taking. The Vikings can't do the pull a rabbit out of your butt thing indefinitely. Who knows what the Bears are going to be? The Lions are in a position where they can do something they have never done. I remember there have been flashes. 1980, they started 4-0, and and their theme song was Another One Bites the Dust. And then in the 90s, after Barry Sanders arrived, they made it to the playoffs, but they, they only won one playoff game early 90s, 1991 against the Cowboys, I believe it was. Was it the Cowboys? It may have been the Cowboys that year before the Cowboys had their rise to three Super Bowl wins in four years. But there's never been a sense of the Lions being in charge of that division in the 50 years that I've been following the NFL. And it feels like it may be the dawn of the Lions finally turning it around, Miles. It, no, it, it does. And look, I mean, it, it's funny because that sort of turnaround that happened this year happened, happened after Sheila Ford Hamp, their owner, kind of came out and gave that vote of confidence to Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes. And at that point, they were one and six and they go down the rest of the season and they finish eight and two. And it it, it really tells you kind of what they're building. They are building something. I mean, you have, you talk about those foundational pieces, right? You're talking about guys like, like Hutchinson, like Amon Ross St. Brown, like Jameson Williams. You know, there are a lot of good pieces there that they have and that they can build on. And so I feel like, you know, when you have something like this, where you see a team continuing to rise at the end of the season, it's one of those teams where, and Mike, you've said this, nobody really wanted probably to go play them in the postseason, you know, man, I think looking at the Lions and seeing them against San Francisco next weekend probably would have been a fun game, whether or not Detroit comes out and wins it. But at this point, you can still say that Detroit looks like they're building something and they actually seem like they are building something sustainable. And we haven't really seen that in a while. I agree with you. We've never seen it from the Lions from the standpoint where it felt like they're taking Next step, next step. They just kind of dog paddled as a playoff team with Barry Sanders. And I think that's one of the reasons why Barry Sanders ultimately walked away. All the stories that came out at the time when he suddenly retired during the 1999, just before training camp, just gone. Like, I've been here 10 years. Is it ever going to get any better than this? It's not. It's not. What's the point? 
Why keep doing this? We're never going to be a great team. We're never going to be a competitive team. We're never going to be anything more than an also-ran or just right on the fringes, right? We can kind of get to the edge of the porch, but we can't get anywhere close to the door and begin to kick it in. And uh, now they're at a point where they're going to be a team that is going to be the trendy pick next year to make noise, to get to yes. the playoffs and win some postseason games, take over yeah. the NFC North. You know, and a lot can change between now and then. And you, you made a great point when Sheila Ford Hamp gave her vote of confidence to Dan Campbell. My thought was that we've heard this before. It's just a precursor to another regime change. And the thing the Lions do, they never give a new overall coaching staff and front office enough time to work and who knows what would have happened with Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia if it ever would have worked it was too dramatic of a change from what they had before so now in comes Dan Campbell and it's dramatic change from what they had before you have to give it time and the key to all this is Chris Spielman he stays in the background but Chris Spielman is the guy that champion Dan Campbell it's the Chris Spielman mindset that led to the whole kneecap biting mantra that we we hear coming from Dan Campbell's introductory press conference so it's good that the Lions stayed the course and there's no guarantee they would have at the end of the season if they would have kept losing but they didn't panic halfway through the season and start firing people which is good they wrote it out and now they've laid the foundation for something very promising for 2023 but we'll see how it plays out. But good news for the Lions and a great way to finish the year. And they can claim, other than the Super Bowl champion, to be the one team that won their final game of the year and is very happy about it and can carry that positivity into the following season. And we'll see what they do. Okay, let's flip it over to the Green Bay Packers. Usually we, we start on because it's always like the, the, the losing side has more storylines and it's juicier, but we had to give the Lions their due right out of the gates. The Packers, they lose the game. The Packers fail to punch their ticket to the playoffs after climbing out of that hole. And I said this last night when it was time to make our picks. And even though I picked the Packers, in hindsight, I wish I hadn't, obviously, as I do most of the time after Sunday night. But when you're 4-8, and eight, you got nothing to lose. When you're 5-8, and eight, you got nothing to lose. When you're 6-8, and eight, you got nothing to lose. Now they're 8-8, eight and eight, one game. Winning in, they got something to lose. They're a different team when they got something to lose. That's why they don't punch it through to the Super Bowl when they're the one seed. I, I thought if they get in as a seven seed, they can be very dangerous because they're nothing to lose the whole way through. Last night they had something to lose and they lost. And the big question, we saw Aaron Rodgers declining to give Jamison Williams his jersey after the game, which was a gutsy move by Jamison Williams. I got, I got it. Well done. Yeah, it takes some guts to walk up to the GOAT when you know, I am going to hold on to this one. Yeah, yeah. James was, hey, can I have your jersey? Yeah, I'm going to hold on to this one because I may never play again. And that's the thing. We saw the long, slow walk off the field, arm in arm with Randall Cobb. It's not that that was a gesture of retirement, Miles. He just doesn't know. He doesn't yeah. know one way or the other. So you have to assume. You don't know if you're going to be back. So you just assume I'm not going to be back because I don't know what I'm going to do. So I got to treat this like it's my last time off the field. So I don't interpret it to mean he's retiring. It's just a reflection of the fact that every season this year for him, or at this stage for him, it could be the last time he walks off that field. Yeah, it, it could be. And look, I mean, I, I sort of saw that as, you know, remember a year or two ago, I guess I can't really quite remember when it was, but you saw Ben Roethlisberger and Pouncey on the sideline 
of that last Steelers game? Was this last year after they lost at Kansas City, or was it the year before? I can't remember. It was when they, they were getting the destroyed Browns by Steelers. your Cleveland Browns in the playoffs. Yeah, it was that. Yeah. But yeah, it, it was one of those deals where you're you're seeing these two guys sit next to each other, these two people who have been teammates for a really long time, and they're just being a little reflective, and they're taken in the moment. Right. That's sort of what I saw it as. And because of that, you're right. We don't know if this is the last time we see Aaron Rodgers and he doesn't know. And he's got to take that time and process and all those different kinds of things. But whenever you're watching the end with a legend, it, it hits you a little bit different. You know, when you've been watching his entire career and you've seen all the highs and some of the lows. And frankly, Aaron Rodgers hasn't had that many lows, you know. So this is an interesting time for him, and it's going to be an interesting time for the Green Bay Packers over the next month or two until they figure out what Aaron Rodgers is going to do. Well, and who knows how long it'll be until he figures it out. You know, the decision is not for the Packers to make. This came up back when they were 4-8, and eight, and there was talk about giving Jordan Love some reps. At what point do you put Jordan Love on the field? We saw him in that Sunday night game against the Eagles after Aaron Rodgers was knocked out of the game with a rib injury, and, and Jordan Love look pretty good and, and that sparked the conversation but the bottom line is the contract that the Packers gave him last year ties their hands for this year if Aaron Rodgers wants to come back he's coming back and he makes a total of 60 million this year and oh well they can trade him that's what somebody said at the time well what if he doesn't want to be traded what if he wants to play for the Packers he said all along he wants to finish his career with the Packers oh, well you can try to trade him but if he says I'm not interested in playing for any other team who's going to trade for him and take on that $60 million obligation. So he holds all the cards here. He's got all the power. The decision is going to be his and his alone as to whether he plays in 2023. Here he is from last night talking about his future after the loss to the Lions. It's a little raw right now. You know, it's just a little bit after the game. So uh, I want to take the emotion out of it and have the conversations and see where the organization's at and, See how I feel after some time has passed. Is there any sort of timetable with that? Is there like a date where you want to make your decision by? Or yeah, I mean, I'm not going to hold them hostage. Uh, you know, I understand, uh, you know, we're still in January here. March is for agency, so um, just need some time to, uh, like I said, get the emotion out of it and then um, figure out what's best. Do you think is the decision all yours? You think or no? I don't think so. I think there's got to be mutual uh, on both sides. So you because your contract obviously you got the guarantee. So if they wanted to move on or at least were open to it, would you be open to that too? Or to what? To going to a different team? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't like saying never, but. Um, got to see how I'm feeling first uh, once the emotions out of it and then have the right conversations and see uh, see what the best direction is at some point the carousel comes to a stop and it's time to get off and I think you you kind of know when that is um, and that's what needs to be contemplated you know is it time uh, also what's the organization doing you know this it's part of it as well um, but the competitive fire is always going to be there. I don't think it ever goes away. Um, sometimes it gets transferred, I think, to other things um, that might not ever fill that large void. But, um, but like I said, I, you know, I feel good about what I've accomplished in this league and um, wouldn't have any regrets walking away.
Glassy-eyed as he speaks, I think he's done. Just after watching that, I think he's done. Hmm. I think he knows he's done. And he could change his mind. But as he was speaking last night, and again, it may be no different than declining to give Jamison Williams your jersey and walking off the field arm in arm with Randall Cobb. He may just be assuming this is the last time I ever do it because he doesn't know. But, boy, you could see the emotion in his eyes. And reading between the lines, first of all, it's not going to be a long decision like it was last year. In 2021, he took it all the way up to training camp. And he said after the fact he was 50-50 going into training camp. Remember, all the sports books removed the Packers' futures bets off the board. They got freaked out. They caught wind of the fact that he's thinking about retiring seriously. It's not just some bluff. It's not just some ruse. He took that all the way up to training camp. Remember all the dysfunction after they, they drafted Jordan Love? Like, we didn't know what was going on. Last year, it was in March. It was the Denver Broncos pivot to Russell Wilson the same day. Remember how the Broncos tried to tell us it had nothing to do with Aaron Rodgers deciding to stay with the Packers? Baloney. And I think Aaron Rodgers has already done the mental gymnastics miles that got him to the point where he's never going to play for another team. And so the idea of him working something out with the Packers and he gets traded, I, 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 I would be stunned, stunned if he plays for somebody else next year. But there's nothing about this sport that wouldn't stun me after everything we've seen in recent years. But I I don't see that. I think that it's either Packers or no one. And what he's going to have to balance is, is it worth one more year, the year in which he turns 40? And is there an upside with Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, Alan Lazard's an unrestricted free agent. I doubt he's going to be back. It's Watson and Dobbs next year. Is there enough from those two guys that he thinks can can allow him to have a different outcome than what he did this year? Because that's the one thing that would bring you back. We didn't make it to the playoffs in my final season. We lost at home. I walked off Lambeau Field a loser in a win-and-in postseason scenario. That would be a pretty strong magnet to get him to come back once the dust settles on the emotion. Yeah, and I, I think that when you're talking about taking the emotion out of it, that that is what he has to balance is whether or not it's worth one more year, you know, or whatever it would happen to be to push himself to that, that sort of physical limit that means being an NFL quarterback. And also, what would it mean throughout the offseason, right? And again, not to beat the dead horse about this, but we've talked ad nauseum about it. It, it, it was something where in the offseason, Aaron Rodgers did not have the same sort of level of commitment that we saw from somebody like a Patrick Mahomes who brought people to Texas and was getting those guys, those new receivers already with him. And now, really, Patrick Mahomes may be the MVP because of that. We didn't see that with the rookies in Watson and Dobbs. And I think that was to the Green Bay Packers detriment because it clearly took a while in the season for Aaron Rodgers to get comfortable with those guys and for those guys to get comfortable with him. So, I mean, if, is he going to be all in like that? If, it's, if he can make that kind of commitment, then yeah, I mean, let's go do it. But that's the kind of thing that he has to weigh in whatever these next few weeks are or maybe the next month, whatever it happens to be, so that he doesn't hold the Green Bay Packers hostage, his words, during the offseason. That was a point Peter King made back when it felt like it was bottoming out for the Green Bay Packers. And there was a Friday during the season where Peter and I squabbled over whether and to what extent Rodgers should have been there for the offseason program, should have gathered his receivers off the regular schedule of workouts and get 
everyone comfortable with him, et cetera. Peter came around, and Peter said, hey, if he's going to play next year, the Packers need to say to him early, we need you to be all in. It can't be cameo appearance in the offseason. You've got to fully embrace this job start to finish. I mean, how many millions do they have to pay him to get him to do more than the bare minimum? Bottom line. So if he's not ready to make that commitment, then it's time to move on. It reminds me a little bit of what they did with Brett Favre 15 years ago, and yes, it has been 15 years, where they went to him in February and knew. If you ask him in February what he's going to do the next year and we need an answer right now, he's going to say, I'm not coming back. And they barricaded the door with furniture. They drafted, I think, five quarterbacks that year, and they hoped he wouldn't come back, and he did. That would would be the one thing I'd – you know, because you look for the parallels. They were showing – Last night, parallels between the throwing style of Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. It would be funny, and it would be very good for our business, if Aaron Rodgers would retire and then when July rolls around, decide, you know what? I think I still want to play. That would be something if it happened, and that would be the ultimate parallel back to Brett Favre. Here he is on the question of, and this line reminds me of an old – TV show, which did in fact exist, even though it was popular before Miles was born in the <laughs> 70s. Happy Days. Ralph Mouth played by Donnie Most. His catchphrase was, I've still got it. Here's Aaron Rodgers on the question of whether he's still got it. And it's fitting because it happened in Wisconsin. Here he is. And the answer is yes. You know, I feel like, um, you know, obviously losing Devontae was, was uh, a, a big deal. But, you know, we didn't uh, fill that void. I mean, nobody can. He's, you know, he's superhuman. He's phenomenal. But uh, there was hope in, in certain things that was going to fill that void, and ultimately that just didn't happen. The things that we were able to do, I think, um, you know, may have been taken for granted at times because we were able to create so many different things in the moment um, over the years, and especially over the last couple of years, because uh, not much really changed other than his absence from. From the lineup, obviously Marquez not being here, uh, and some other pieces in the line, but um, but I, I think that there's a lot of good young talent on the team, and if certain guys make the jumps from years one to two, this offense could look a little bit different. That's the draw. That's the attraction. And again, that gets back to he just, he just didn't do what he needed to do to help those guys get comfortable soon enough, and the. There's nothing wrong with pointing that out. It's just amazing. We all have our flaws. And Aaron Rodgers, brilliant, great quarterback, one of the best ever. His flaw was he didn't do enough to help those young guys who were in awe of him. I remember making this point during the season. You have guys who were 9, 10 years old when Aaron Rodgers won the Super Bowl. How mm-hmm. are they not trembling? How are they not? I mean, I told the story after Franco Harris passed of seeing him at the airport after a Super Bowl. My brother-in-law talked to him for 20 minutes, couldn't get away from him. I was afraid to say anything to him. It's Franco Harris. I'm the seven-year-old boy, you know, uh, offering a Coke to Mean Joe Green. I mean, I, it, you just can't, you can't break out of that mindset. And it was for Aaron Rodgers to, to tear down that wall and get those guys comfortable so they could go out and have an impact right away. I, 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 they showed the clip last night, Christian Watson, week one. First snap mm-hmm. from scrimmage offensively, 75-yard walk-in touchdown in his hands and out of his hands. I don't know. Did he, did he not secure that ball because he just wasn't as – you know, a lot of things go into what makes you perform or not perform in the moment. And uh, 
I, I can understand why all those young receivers would be very tight and intimidated and in awe and, frankly, afraid of Aaron Rodgers. And they got away from that, and the team got better once they did. One other thing that we can't be afraid to say here, and I'm surprised I've seen people defending Quay Walker on social media. The moment last night, this confusing, bizarre, six days after a member of the training staff helped save the life of DeMar Hamlin, someone comes out to attend to DeAndre Swift and tries to get past Quay Walker, and Quay Walker shoves the guy. Well done by the officiating crew to see it and flag it, and well done by New York to eject DeMar Hamlin. And then 95 comes over, too. They should have run his ass off the field as well. Coming over with the intimidating, I'm going to put my shoulder into you. Who do you think you are? You're not in uniform. You're not one of us. What are you doing out here on our field? Tell that guy to get the hell out, too. There are certain things that you should not do. There are certain lines that should never be crossed. Quay Walker crossed it last night. 95, whose name I don't know and don't care to know, crossed it as well. Get off the football field if you're going to treat other human beings like that, especially when they are a key part of the infrastructure that's there, not only to keep you safe, but at times to keep you alive. Yes. Yeah, no doubt, Mike. I mean, it was just an unacceptable display of unprofessionalism. I mean, what the hell are you doing? I don't understand why anybody would do that, especially this week of all weeks. You know, no matter who is out there on the field, we know athletic trainers and medical staff are there for not just your team, but for the other team as well. How many times do we see athletic trainers? If you're on, if you happen to get injured on the opposite sideline, they're going to come over and they're going to help you until your own medical personnel can get there. So that was ridiculous. You deserve to be thrown out of the game. And yeah, 95 should have been too. Quay Walker was ejected for two different games this year. After the game, Coach Matt LaFleur said, this is unacceptable. I've got a much higher standard for our players than to do silly things like that. We've got a guy ejected twice. I don't think I've ever seen that in my career. We've got to be much more mentally tough. Anytime our guys commit personal fouls, I take that personally because I think that's always a reflection of myself and the standards we set for these players. We've got to be better, and we've got to learn from that because that is unacceptable and good for Matt LaFleur to come out and say it. Because we we suggest that from time to time. We went through this with Mac Jones and Bill Belichick not that long ago. Mac Jones clearly engaging in dirty play, taking out the knees of Eli Apple, well behind the play, with no football strategic reason for it other than just to display some punk-ass frustration, which is exactly what it was. They asked Bill Belichick about it. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Grumble, grumble. Is he a dirty player? Well, either he is or he isn't. And if he is, it's a reflection of the coach. And good for Matt LaFleur to come out and say, I understand these actions are a reflection of me, and I don't stand for it. And I Mm -hmm. won't stand for it. So I got a ton of respect. I always had a ton of respect for Matt LaFleur. I have even more now. He's willing to come out and say what he has to say, even if it impairs his relationship with his player, because the player has already impaired the relationship with the coach by acting that way. Yes, 100%. And, you know, I, I also have, you know, a ton of respect for Matt LaFleur. I like Matt LaFleur. I work with Matt LaFleur with the LA Rams. So I, I understand exactly why he said the things that he said and the way that he said them. And I totally agree with him. All right. The reason the Lions didn't get in with their victory last night was because the Seahawks somehow managed to hold off the Rams in what could have been Sean McVay's final 
game with the team. We'll be talking about that later in the program. But the Seahawks get the win 19-16 to in overtime. Excruciating for Lions fans. Great shot last night on Football Night in America of Lions fans in the stands at Lambeau Field seeing the Seahawks try a game-winning field goal and stoink it off the uprights, sending the game to overtime. The Lions thought maybe we're going to go into a win-and-in scenario. Instead, the Seahawks, by getting the victory. And this is the one, you know, Baker Mayfield just, just a, just a, I mean, it's a long, tough throw, and it would have been something if he completed it. Van Jefferson's got to wait on it just a little bit. Quandre Diggs comes over and makes the pick. I don't know why he just ran straight out of bounds. I would have turned it up and tried to get some yardage there, but it all worked out, and the Seahawks end up getting the win in overtime with the 32-yard field goal. Uh, and the Seahawks punched their ticket to the playoffs that they didn't know would be a valid and honored ticket until the Lions beat the Packers. But that's something for the Seahawks, too. A team that's been through a lot of turmoil, a team that had the Russell Wilson trade and the belief that they just aren't going to be competitive and there's this vague notion that the team is going to be sold, kind of hovering over everything they do. Pete Carroll far closer to the end than the beginning. I think that we saw a reaffirmation this season, and specifically yesterday, that Pete Carroll still knows what he's doing. And Geno Smith, after eight years of not being a starting quarterback, back under center, getting it done, kind of tailed off toward the middle to the end of the season, but just enough to get in. And it sets up for a fascinating wild card game because anytime you play a division rival in the postseason, I, I think it just has a different vibe to it because they're not intimidated by the fact that you're the two seed. They're not afraid of you. If anything, they relish the opportunity to come in there and beat you. It kind of reminds me of how I thought it was shaping up with the Vikings as the two seed and the Packers or the Lions as the seventh seed. Here's the 49ers as the two seed, and now here are the Seahawks as the seventh seed. Yeah, and it's going to be an interesting matchup, like you said, between the the Seahawks and the 49ers next week. But, you know, it, it was one of those games that could have gone either way. And coaches say this all the time, and sometimes I get annoyed by it. But like, you know, oh, man, if the four to six plays that were critical plays in the game go one way or the other way, then, you know, that's the difference. And to his credit, Sean McVay didn't say that yesterday but it, it was just one of those things where you could see that the Rams really did have opportunities to win that game and there were times where it looked like they would get off the field and a penalty happened or it looked like they would get off the field and something else would happen or they let up a big completion the Seahawks were able to stay the course Geno Smith made the critical plays when he needed to make them and you know they had that huge interception by Diggs maybe if Baker Mayfield doesn't put quite enough or quite so much air under that ball to Van Jefferson we're having a different conversation today but they were able to get it done. And so now we will see Seattle in the postseason. And I think it's, it's a really good thing for them. And you know what? Pete Carroll can still coach ball. Geno Smith, by the way, doubled his money this year. $3.5 million base salary. He earned every penny of his $3.5 million in incentives to get to seven, which is still one hell of a bargain. <laughs> sure Seattle is. Seahawks, a wire-to-wire starting quarterback making $7 million in today's Damn. NFL that and hey we'll see there's the this offseason is going to be nuttier than usual when you look around at all the quarterback jobs that may come available we were trying to do this within the past couple of weeks it's easier to list the teams that are settled than unsettled at quarterback because there are fewer of them and so every team that's unsettled what are you going to do there's plenty of options out there 
and you've got Geno Smith at the top of the list of free agents who will walk out the door unfettered, unencumbered, unless the Seahawks sign him to a new contract or apply the franchise tag, which they can't take off the table at this point if they can't work out a long-term deal with him. He's done too much to this to this team's fortunes and gotten them to the playoffs in his first year as a starter. So kudos to the Seahawks for getting it done. And, hey, the Rams, to their credit, they were done. They had nothing to play for. Baker Mayfield trying to put himself in position to be in the conversation for potential starting quarterbacks elsewhere. He did everything he could to try to win the game. And you've got Bobby Wagner going back to Seattle. He did everything he could. Sean McVay's last game. I picked the Rams to win because I thought they really would. Because the Seahawks kind of had that, you know, attitude justifiably to some extent well the Lions and Packers game isn't the same time as ours what matters if we you know you could it's good that Pete Carroll didn't let that creep in fully he shut it down last week because that's a loser's mentality and if you're caught up in that what's going to happen you're going to end up losing the game to the Rams and then it's moot if the Lions beat the Packers so good for the Seahawks to hold on and good for the Rams to give them a good game it was you know on a day that was devoid of many good games that was at least one of the few we can point to yeah, it was. I mean, it, you know, what's tr- interesting to me too, Mike, is that Baker Mayfield after the game was talking about, you know, I know I'm a starting quarterback in this league and I don't personally know that. I mean, I think that Baker Mayfield could be maybe somebody's bridge starter for 2023 a la Mitchell Trubisky, but you know, he, he put some good things on tape for the Rams, certainly better things than he put on tape for the Carolina Panthers. I mean, he was one of, if not the worst starting quarterback in the National Football League in 2022 when he got released by the Panthers. And so this at least showed that, yeah, there is still some talent and ability for Mayfield. But, Mike, I don't know. What do you think about Mayfield's prospects going into 23? Well, there's another guy who, when we last heard from him, was saying he's one of the best 32 quarterbacks in the NFL right now, and his name's Cam Newton. His phone didn't ring all year. And I I make that comparison because with Baker Mayfield, when you bring that big personality with you, which Baker Mayfield does. He did a good job in Carolina of kind of keeping it under wraps as far as we know. We don't know what they dealt with behind closed doors. But publicly, he wasn't brash. He didn't fight with reporters. A lot of the behaviors we saw in his first four years with the Browns didn't translate to the Panthers, which tells me he's got some self-awareness. But to come out and say, after yesterday's performance, I'm, you know, I, I, I understand you have to be confident. But... The market will determine whether or not he's a starter. Baker Mayfield does not have a vote on whether or not he's a starter. There's 32 teams. More than half of them are going to be thinking about their options at quarterback for 2023, and they know Mayfield is available. So we'll find out. The market will dictate whether or not Baker Mayfield is a starter. But you're right, Miles. He may end up in a situation. You mentioned Trubisky. I don't think you want Mayfield in that spot. The same reason you don't want Cam Newton in that spot. Because Mayfield will not be thrilled about being sent to the bench for a Kenny Pickett or whichever young quarterback it is when they decide the time has come to make the change. And, you know, there's been talk about Mayfield staying in L.A. for a year and maybe it would be good for him to back up Matthew Stafford and say, well, if you're going to be a new coach, we don't know yet. Right. That that puts that situation into turmoil as well. So, look, I still think he can play better than a lot of the guys that got trotted out yesterday. Is that enough <laughs> to be a starter week in and week out? And, you know, it's a far cry from what we thought he was going to be based on two of his first three NFL seasons just two years ago. 
after 2020. They win a playoff game with Pittsburgh, and we think this guy's on his way to a big contract. And, you know, if he doesn't, if he doesn't try to make a tackle after a turnover week two against the Texans in 2021, who knows what would have played out differently. And I think that's the thing that keeps him in play. You get him into a, into a system in an organization early enough, and you get him properly prepared. You get somebody who believes in him, somebody who buys in completely. Maybe he could still be the guy that we saw in 2018 and 2020. But, but I, I just don't know at this point. And who's going to stake their career, their future, their prospects on that roll of the dice that they're going to get the absolute most out of Baker Mayfield? I don't know who's going to do it, Miles. Yeah, I don't either. And that's kind of the issue that he's going to run into. It's, you know, what is the exact right system for Baker Mayfield? What is the right situation? Who is the right coach? You know, who are the right guys in terms of your skill players that are around him that can maximize his skill set? And you're right, man. I mean, if Sean McVay is not there, that changes the entire equation for the Los Angeles Rams, not just with Baker Mayfield, but for a lot of other positions and a lot of other people, too. So that's the first domino that's got to fall there in order to say, all right, well, this is what the Rams are then going to be able to do. And frankly, if I'm Baker Mayfield, I would, if Sean McVay is not there for the 2023 Los Angeles Rams, I don't know that I would want to be there either. I think a lot of players may fall into that same category, starting with Aaron Donald. But again, that's a yeah. topic for later in the program. We talked about the fact that the Seahawks and the Rams was one of the good games on a final Sunday of some ugly football. There was an ugly game in South Florida that ended up being not so ugly for the Dolphins because they broke their losing streak and they, thanks to the Patriots losing to the Bills, punched their ticket to the playoff field in the AFC. We'll talk about the Dolphins getting their playoff spot, also with some help from Buffalo, when PFT Live continues right after this. 